morning. So it's September now, right? Which I know fall's not officially here yet. We've got a couple more weeks. I think when we roll into September, uh, th- there are things that, I think, truths, right, that, that we, abide, I abide by, that thought I would share with you, and things to celebrate. So it's, it's officially like hunting season, right? Like that's, that's awesome. That is here. Uh, we are moving towards the end of 100 degree days, although every day I look at the forecast, like they're pushed out and out and out. Uh, but maybe most importantly, what you need to understand about what September indicates, what it means for us as a church, is that it is now officially okay to listen to Christmas music. Yes. You're welcome. It's who we are as a church. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. So, uh, hey, we are, um, we're in between series here. We finished up Nehemiah last week. We're moving into Isaiah next week. And so we find ourselves in a, a place where we get to just kind of pause and, and have a, a one-off sermon. So uh, they can look like a lot of things. And, and this week, today, we get to do something that, that I'm not sure I've ever done. Um, I, take that. I know I have, but, but we're just going to talk about the Psalms. Uh, just one particular psalm. We're going to have a psalms break because as we read through God's word together, as we fuel the fire, uh, and if you're new here, uh, several of us last January made the commitment to read through God's word in its entirety, and our, our readings are Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and Proverb every day. Uh, and so we are going to pause between books, and we're going to talk about a psalm that I, I am excited about, and I, I, think, I think God has something for you today in the message. I know he did for me. So I'm going to give you just a, a real quick, like, Psalms 101, like, intensive, like, the, some context and some background about this book, because it's a little bit different than some of the books that we read through in our scripture. And so uh, the Hebrew word for psalm literally means praises. This is a book, a collection of writings of hymns and songs and praises and prayers. that the, the, the church, the early church, uh, even pre-Jesus, they would use as a part of their worship. They, that they would use these words to engage in to worship. They are uh, authored by several different people. I know when we think about the Psalms, we, at least I immediately think of, of King David. He was a guy who spent a lot of time writing Psalms, and so 73 Psalms are attributed to him. There are three other Psalms that actually New Testament authors attribute to David, which I think was kind of interesting, that, that he's not author, listed as the author, but the New Testament writers give him credit for it. Uh, there were several other authors uh, that, that list through it. King Solomon wrote a couple. Uh, Moses actually wrote one. And then the one that we are going to read today was written by a group of men called the Sons of Korah. K-O-R-A-H. And I know that, like if you, if you open up your Bible to Psalm 46, you'll see in the superscript, like the, the text right under Psalm 46, it indicates who it was written by and what it was written for. And most people believe that this particular song was one that was written as a song. A song that was supposed to be or originally authored to be sung by ladies or, or those that were sopranos. So they actually had instructions on how this was supposed to be read, how this was supposed to be sung. Now, I uh, thought it would be fitting if I then tried to sing this in a soprano voice for everyone. This Anyway, uh, I have an um, interesting relationship with the Psalms. Like, I, I wrote down in my notes that it's a love-hate relationship, and I don't think that's accurate, because for me to say that I hate anything about God's Word, that's not true. But I struggle with this at times, because I'm not a guy who really understands or 
particularly cares for poetry. Like, I understand its purpose, and I understand the beauty in it, but I, I've just, I've not studied it, I don't understand it a ton. Uh, and so, so for me to sit down and just pour into the Psalms like I would other books, like, it's difficult for me. However, when I can put kind of those biases aside and I, I dive into it, what I find is a richness and depth and beauty that, that is unmatched anywhere in our Scripture. Like, it, it paints pictures of who God is in a way that, like, I just, I wish I had the words to articulate it like that. Jesus himself uses the Psalms in some of his last words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which then, which creates, takes these poet, poetries or poems and, and gives them kind of a prophetic essence to them. Today's Psalm is Psalm 46, and it's one I think probably some of you know, you're familiar with. If not, you'll, you'll for, sure, for sure will know one of the lines in it. And so if you want to open your Bibles, we're just going to read the entire psalm together, and then we'll talk about it. So Psalm 46, we'll start in verse 1, we'll go all the way through 11. And this is what was written. Scripture says, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar with foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Verse 5 God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with the fire. He says, and you might recognize this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's a scripture or a passage of painting a picture of God as our refuge. Now, now this isn't a unique Idea. This isn't the first time we see it in Scripture. It isn't the last time. Uh, there are texts over and over again that paint this picture of God being our refuge, being our fortress. The Lord is my shepherd. It's another psalm. Jeremiah wrote, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold. Jesus himself would say later on, Come to me, all who are tired and weary. The underlying theme in the Bible is that God is with us. God is for us. God is our refuge. He is a place that we can go, our stronghold, our safe place. And we say that a lot, or, or we, we and it's a very church thing to say, that God is with you. God is for you. Be still and know that he is God. Like, th this shouldn't be, for a lot of us in the room, anything that is, uh, that is new or groundbreaking. But the question I have as I read through this is, is how is it that, that I am supposed to live this out? What does that mean? 
Like, like what is it that I am supposed to do that, that would exemplify or, or indicate that I am living a life that, that, that believes that God is my fortress, that he is with me? And so we, we turn to instructions in the psalm. Again, these are instructions for worship. And we have some, some, some guidelines that would maybe put us in the right direction for being in a place where we could, we could embody this. That we could live a life that, that would resemble one that has God as its shield. So verses 9 and 10, uh, probably the most famous, and we'll just focus on these, although man, that entire psalm is just, just full of information. But, but right here, right, he says, He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. And it's important, I think, enough to mention again, like, like it's easy to look around the world and be like, man, we've, God, you've lost it. Or we've maybe gone too far away from where we should be. And I, w- I, would, I would agree that's probably correct. But then I read verses like this and I'm reminded, this is what God does, right? There's not a war too big, not a problem too complicated for him to just put at ease. It says, or he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. How many of you have, have heard this verse before? Just raise your hand. Okay. How many of you maybe have this on a coffee cup, a sign, a shirt? Is it in your house? Thank you, Joy. Appreciate that. Other people do. No one's brave enough to admit it. And we should, right? Like, this is an important verse for us. This is one of those verses that, like, like it, it, when, when things are chaotic and life is crazy and the world is weighing down on our shoulders, like, I need moments where I can just, whew, be still and know that he is God. What happens inside of you when you hear the words be still? Like, what's the first thing that you do when someone tells you to be still? You freeze, Right? I have, uh, was watching a, watching, a, watching a movie with Grayston uh, who has, uh, I, maybe all little boys have this, but he has just twitchy legs. Man, the boy is always moving. He's always doing something. And we're sitting on, on the couch together, recliners, and, and, he's, and every time he moves, like, like he's shaking the entire couch. I'm like, Grayston, be still. We stopped. We freeze. We, 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 we hold tight to where we are. And so, so when we read this, right, when I read this and I, I hear the command, I read the command, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that he is God, that God is God. The first thing, my first reaction is just to freeze. It's the game that we would play as kids, green light, red light, right? Red light, stop. So the wars are raging, stop, freeze, know that he is God. Health is failing, stop, freeze. Know that he is God. That marriage, it's not working. Stop, freeze. Know that he is God. Depression is worsening. Stop, freeze. Know that he is God. The anxiety is crippling. You need to stop what you're doing and know that he is God. The entire world is collapsing around you. And we read this verse, and it's okay. I'm going to stop. I'm going to freeze. 
and I'm going to know that he is God. Now, there's something that needs to be said for solitude in, in, in what I think that describes. Like, we need moments where that's exactly what happens. Where we, we put aside everything in our life, we turn the phone off, we turn the TV off, we step into a quiet place, and, and, and we truly just freeze and acknowledge that he is God. There's power in that. And I believe that we should take more time and do I am, I am so bad at that. So bad at that. So bad. But I'm going to challenge you this morning with this text that if that's where you end, like if that's what you do, if your response to this text is to simply stop and freeze and know that he is God, and, and that's the extent of it, then you're not staying true to what God is calling you to do. That it isn't simply, it's not enough to simply be still in the way that we understand it. Years ago, I went on a, uh, a pastor's I wasn't a pastor then, so it was just a men's retreat, right? So it was me and a group of guys. We were in Texas. It would have been seven, eight years ago. Pastor Dustin was there. Uh, Josh, Josh Colton was there. We went to, uh, uh, it was a duck hunt in Louisiana. It's the first time I'd ever been duck hunting. And so there's lots of things to learn, um, lots of newness. And I learned a lot about duck hunting in that short trip. The, the, the first thing I learned was, uh, and I wasn't anticipating this because it was Louisiana, that you could be so cold that you can't function. That was the first thing. I was cold. Uh, I, I learned uh, that um, even when you have camo and you look like someone who might be armed or have guns, that someone will still probably try to mug you in a Wendy's parking lot in Louisiana somewhere. That almost happened to me. I don't know what that dude was on. That, that was not the brightest decision to walk up to a bunch of guys in camo, but uh, he eventually, he walked away. Um, the other thing um, that I learned is that, that there is an art to duck hunting that... Um, I just, I wasn't used to. And so, uh, let me explain. We, we, we were in a boat, and we, we get back into this, like, in this thicket, this brush, and we were, we were all there, and there was four or five of us, and the, and the guy that we were with, who was a friend of ours, the, who lived there, was, was showing us the rope. He was teaching us. He would, um, he would call them in, and then as the ducks were coming, and I didn't really know where they were coming, all right, boys, here they are. Be still. And we'd We'd freeze. And he said, all right, all right, here they come. Be, be, be still. And, and we're, okay, I'm still. And he said, all right, now, now don't, don't look up. Don't show them your face. Don't show them, be still. Don't show, do you, do you see them? And, and then what happened was the ducks would fly over us, and because we were all frozen, we didn't get a shot off. Now, sometimes, at least for, for me, when we get to a place, when we, we freeze, when we stop, when, when, we, when we just lock up, you miss what God is going to do on the back end of that. You miss your opportunity to get a shot, maybe. So the, the Hebrew word, and this was fascinating this week for me, the Hebrew word for be still, it's spelled so that the transliteration trans, uh, is, is R-A-P-A, Rafa, if I'm saying that correctly. Which, which doesn't mean anything to you, but, or maybe it does. If it does, we should talk. I need help with this. 
But when you look at the translation or the definition for the original word in Hebrew, here's, here's what it says. It says, to slack. Right, so to give slack. To refrain. To release. Here it is. To let go. So this isn't God saying, red light. He's saying, stop what you're doing. Stop whatever you're doing and hand that thing over to me. It's not a hold on. It's not a take a breath and think of me. That's part of it. It's stop. Don't forget who I am. I'm God. Give me that thing that you're struggling with. See, everything, everything in my life, everything in my life conditions me to do the opposite, especially when life gets tough. Like when, when the weight of the world is on my shoulders, when I feel like the enemy is, is just driving face first into me, everything about me is to, is to hold on for dear life. Like, it's like, like being thrown over the edge of the cliff, Right? Like you hold on to that rope like your life depends on it. When you lose control of your car, you don't, you don't throw your hands up and say, okay, you, you squeeze tighter. Like when your horse spooks, you don't throw the reins in the air and say, let's see what happens. You, you gather them up. And so I, I, I read this and, and God's saying, okay, be still and know that I'm God. Release, let go and know that I'm God. Like everything inside of me says, well, I'm not sure I'm capable of doing that. I want to hold on. How about that, God? I'll still acknowledge that you exist, but I'm going to keep this right here. Now, what happens is you walk through life in moments where, again, life's just tough. You're on the verge of being broken. And you read verses like this, and you, 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 you okay, I'm going to be still. You are God. That's for sure. But because I don't let go of the thing that I'm holding, I step out of that moment of solitude and nothing changes. Nothing changes because I've done nothing to allow God to change it. Do you understand? When we talk about solitude, like solitude that does not point to submission, I wholeheartedly believe inhibits what God is trying to do in that moment. Solitude that doesn't point to submission. Now, I'm not saying that, that every moment of solitude is a moment of submission, because I understand this takes time. This is a process. This is a, a work that God does inside each and every one of us, and some of you are really good at handing over your thing to God. Others of you, like me, are like, no, I've got this. But I've understood now as I read the text, and I'm, I'm just imploring you to, to, to hear with me that, that if, if those moments with God where you're being still and knowing that he is God, if that's not at least pointing in the direction of handing that thing over to him, you limit what he will do in that moment. Because you're, you're controlling it or, or maintaining ownership in it. When you don't hand it over to God, you limit what he can do in that moment. And this is where it gets really uncomfortable for me, is that when I do that, 
When, when, I, when I step into these moments of being still and, and acknowledging that God is God, which I've never doubted, I've never questioned, but when I don't hand the thing over to him, you know what I'm telling God? Maybe not explicitly, but in my action, I'm telling him, God, hey, you know what? I've got this. I'll handle it. And in moments like that, who are you worshiping? Who am I worshiping? Self. You see, see when, when, when you get to a place where solitude and submission, like they're, they're not working together, you're not working towards submission, you're worshiping you and not God. See, if, you really, if we really truly understood the words and the implications of, of who God is, knowing who God is, we never for a second would doubt or question or resist or have trouble handing over everything that we, we have to him because he's God. We know how big he is. We know how powerful he is. And we know, again, because of what this says, how intimate our relationship with him is. Be still. Take a step back and then put down the sword, put down the bag, put down the scar because he's God. Church, this is, this is, what, this is what he's famous for. This is what he does. He takes the things in this world, otherwise impossible, and he says, hey, watch me now. The story of the nation of Israel, you, you guys know like, like the, 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 the Israelites were, were escaping Egypt. And they get to a place where there's a sea in front of them and an army behind them. Like it goes from bad to, to dire. The text says that the Israelites, they, they, they were saying, what, did you just bring us out here because there wasn't enough room to bury us in Egypt? Like are we here so you can just have room to, to dig holes for us? And Moses, had Moses been a guy who was a, uh, God, I, I know that you exist, but I'm going to hold on to this, the story would, would have looked quite different. Like if, if he had been still and simply held on to it, he would have said, okay, God, you're God, you were awesome. Now, everybody, I need you to swim. <laughs> That's not how the story goes. Moses, with, with a faith that I have a hard time comprehending, looked right in the eyes of the people that were following him as the nation or the Egyptians were barreling down on them. And he looked at him. He said, he said, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And then guess what God did? He split the sea. We talk a lot hear about allowing God to, to take the things that, that we can't handle, that we shouldn't handle, that we were never supposed to handle, uh, and, and we, we lay it at his feet. Uh, that, that's a theme I think that you've heard from all of us who preach over and over and over again. And we preach it because we, we believe it, and God's word says it. We think it's so important that we live that way because we think that's, that's where transformation happens. And that's what this is about. This isn't pretend. This isn't, this isn't just us coming together to tell stories. This is about life transformation, about being made new through the blood of Jesus Christ. The atoning work that Jesus did on the cross is available to you, and because of that, you can be changed from the inside out, that he, he will lift those heavy loads for you. But the, the, the only thing that you need to do, the only prerequisite for transformation 
for that life change is submission. That happens when you, as the text reads, you are still. You release. You relax. You slacken. And you trust and you know that he is God. I've had the, the privilege and honor of, of walking alongside many of you through really good times and really bad times. I have prayed with you. I have cried with you. We have talked. I understand, for some of you, the, at least the best I can, the burdens that you're going through. And I think you understand some of the ones that I go through, too. What does that look like in our lives if we take the things that we are carrying on our shoulders? And, and it's specific to all of us. The things that are weighing us down to the extent where now we're kind of feeling like, man, I'm, I'm crippling myself with this. What does it look like that instead of simply saying, okay, God, you're awesome. I'm going to do my thing. That we simply say, okay, God, because you're God, here you go. What changes? And I understand, at least for me, like that, that's a daily battle. Like I can do it once and then fail at it for five days in a row. But what if we begin to take the, the process? What if we lay the things that are weighing us down at his feet and we say, God, I don't, I don't understand how you're going to fix this, but I sure, I sure can't. So here you go. God, I'm, I'm to the point now where I'm walking with a limp because this is so heavy. Here you go. God, my, my life, my heart, my body, spirit, they're broken beyond what I think I can repair, so, so here you go. What does that look like for us? Let's pray. <laughs> Father, I, um, I thank you that you that you are a God that just, that just wants to do the heavy lifting. That you are a God who, who desires our biggest problems and, and our smallest problems. That, that you are a God who walks alongside us when we are, when we are good, when we are on the mountaintop, but, but you're also a God who is right there, right next to us when we're in the lowest of valleys. Father, my prayer... My prayer for us is that we would figure out a way to lay our burdens, our fears, our insecurities, our baggage, our scars, our uncertainties at your feet. That we would cry out to the name of Jesus and we would say, Jesus Christ, I, I, I'm giving this to you. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to hand it to you, but right here, right in this moment, it's yours. Do with it what only you can do. Give us that strength. Give us that ability. And Father, in the moments where we, we feel your healing presence, the relief that comes from a relationship and a submission to you, God, may you be glorified. May we give you the credit, the praise, and the honor. So it's in, in Jesus' most holy, 
beautiful and perfect name we pray. Amen.